Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. And in the case of today, also an episode of the Bitcoin Breakout, episode 3180 of the Survival Podcast, 22 of the Bitcoin Breakout. And I've got a great one for you today, but it was kind of like a last-minute switch. Uh, basically, our today's guest kind of bailed me out of a hole. I had Robert Breedlove, who to me is one of the better minds in Bitcoin, to have deep intellectual conversations with about it, and, and money as well, and economics, and a full-on freedom advocate as well. Uh, so I was excited to have Robert on. Um, as often happens when you book really big-name people, though, things come up, and he actually is in like a last-minute travel uh, schedule conflict on this. So Dorothy is working through his PA to rebook him, and... Uh, I've been chatting with Gary Leland, known as the Bitcoin Boomer, back and forth. He recently kind of uh, helped him out in getting one of these imposters that show up, happens to me all the time, where somebody's pretending to be you and trying to fish people. And it's a pretty sophisticated one. Um, but both, both cloned his Twitter and his YouTube. And I assisted him with getting that taken down. Uh, and that started a dialogue. We realized we knew each other. We actually met at a Bitcoin meetup. Not so long ago, and I, I, I kind of think I talked to Gary back about, and I was saying it was earlier than this when I was talking to him yesterday, but back in like '09, when I was just really beginning to get off the blocks with the Survival Podcast, I think I met Gary at a, a, a meetup, a podcasting or, or Dallas search engine marketing meetup, uh, or possibly a conference, WordPress-driven uh, podcasting conference, and had a discussion with him about a podcast that he was doing about softball, fast-pitch softball. Um, I'm not sure of that. We're not sure of that, but it, it certainly is the case. But we've kind of been in the same space a long time. Gary's not just a great voice in the world of Bitcoin either. Gary is a pioneer. We'll talk a little bit today about Gary's entry into the Internet, how many amazing projects, successful projects he's had online. Uh, that, that have nothing to do with Bitcoin or podcasting, and then how much podcasting this guy's done. This guy's one of the few people podcasting today that was podcasting before I was. Very few people have been podcasting more than 14, 15 years. He's one of them. It'd be Adam Curry, me, uh, Gary. I'm sure there's others, but those are the ones I'm like aware of. Uh, I do believe that to date, the Survival Podcast is the oldest continuous podcast Online, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, let me know. I'd like to know that. But anyway, you're talking about original gangsters getting together here. They've been in the podcasting game a long, long time. Uh, Gary's also the founder of BitBlock Boom, which is one of the biggest uh, Bitcoin conferences and the one that's truly a hundred percent Bitcoin only conference in Austin every year. We'll be talking about that and a bunch more with Gary Leland, the Bitcoin boomer, in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Start9 Embassy Servers. You know, people tend to worry a lot about privacy in the world of, of, of cryptocurrency, and one of the bigger weaknesses is that no matter what you do to obfuscate things on blockchain, your security is only as good as, like, your security as a user. And if you want to take back full digital sovereignty, not just protection of, but full ownership, 
of all your data, all your passwords, and everything you do. You need to look into what Start9 does. You can learn more at Start9.com. They do a discount for my members. I need to make an adjustment on it. It says 15%. They've lowered it to 9%. But if you use the Fold card, you can get another 9% and stack those two and end up with an 18% discount on Start9 servers. How cool is that? More about the Fold card later. But you really want to check into Start9 if you don't have one of these. They have new products coming out. They are back-ordered on stuff, but now's the time to get your order in. Uh, next up today, JM Bullion. Uh, often when I talk about Bitcoin, I hear, I, I store gold, I store silver. And usually the people saying this, they have no gold, they have no silver, they have no money, they have no Bitcoin, they have no nothing. You look at what they're doing and you're like, you, you know, it's just, it's an excuse. I actually believe in diversification when it comes to your holdings and your investments. I believe in real estate. I believe in gold and silver. I believe in Bitcoin. I believe in having some cash. I believe in tools. I believe in skill sets. I believe in energy systems. I believe in food production systems. I believe in all of it. I believe in entrepreneurship. That's actual diversity. And yes, precious metals have a place in there. Honest to God, I think as a form of money, silver and gold have had their day. They were the best we had at one time, and it's gone. But they are not going away. They will always be ways to store wealth. And if you're going to buy silver and gold, since as long as you're buying from somebody reputable, it's all the same. You want to pay the lowest price and get the best service, and you want free shipping. JM Bullion has been supporting my work for seven long years now. They have any kind of little hiccup problems that have ever happened with customer service. I get right in touch with the president. He makes sure it gets taken care of. They have better pricing than Monica and Apex. They have free shipping, and they do a discount for my members. What more could you ask for? Unless you're buying from a local coin shop, there's no reason to buy any of your silver or gold from anybody other than JM Bullion. With that, let's go ahead and get on into it. Let's drop into the live stream with uh, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer. All right, folks, and we are live. Welcome to the Bitcoin Breakout and the Survival Podcast. Today on a Tuesday, I'll bring our special guest up with us here in just a second, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer. Real quick, though. Uh, one of our sponsors today was Start9. I wanted to let you know that Jesse Markowitz, a member of our community, a couple times he's been on the show as a guest as well, is currently running a fundraiser to get CryptPad, which is an awesome collaborative kind of clone of Office Suite. So not only can you collaborate, but everything's fully encrypted end-to-end. -end. This product already exists. But what he's running a fundraiser to do is get it packaged so it can be put onto a Start9 server. Think of Start9 kind of like a, a server that works like a like a, a smartphone. That We can take all of these open source apps, we can package them, and we can uh, put them up onto uh, the Start9 server so they can be installed with just a click. Right now, you would have to be running like your own Umbral server or something like that. So, guys, check it out. I'll have a link in the audio notes today where you can contribute to this and get it off the ground. And with that, uh, I want to introduce our special guest today who uh, – Did me a real solid in coming on the air with me today because I lost a, a scheduled guest. Uh, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin boomer. Turns out we've been walking around in the same backyard for quite a long time. Uh, welcome to the show, Gary. Hey, nice to be here. Uh, didn't have to make it sound like I was a second fiddle there. <laughs> no, you're not. I've been trying to scam on how to get you on the air, period. And then I'm like, well, maybe he'll come if I tell him I'm host. So it was more like a Hail Mary to get you on on short notice like that. So... Well, I guess uh, we met a long time ago, um, back in the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, the tens or the aughts. The aughts. Yeah. Yeah. Aughts. The aughts, right? I, I always said that we finally have decades again. We have the twenties. Like I grew up in the seventies, the eighties and the nineties. And then we had, I don't know what we are, but yeah, you, uh, 
your background on, on the internet and podcasting a whole goes way, way back. And I'm like, I talked to this guy about a softball podcast somewhere around 08, 09. And you're like, it has to be me because it could have been the only person, huh? Yeah, I think I was the only person doing a <laughs> podcast back then. Actually, though, when podcasting was so young, I guess it was kind of cool because you could call anyone and say you wanted to have them on your show. And they would think it was like a radio show or something and they yeah. automatically come on. Didn't matter who it was. They'd automatically, oh, chance to be on a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, re- I remember back about the same time being in uh, New York City and hearing a, you know, passerby conversation in a bar. And the guy was like so enthralled with this friend. He's like, he's got his own website and everything. And it's like, all right, man, like if that's what does it for you, that's what does it for you. But kind of let's start there. Like your involvement with basically the internet and everything that we have online today goes back even pre podcasting. Like you have a tremendous, I, I was blown away when I looked at your site of all the sites that you've built and projects you've been part of over the years. What kind of brought you into the world, you know, the internet, e-commerce and stuff like that in the first place? Well, I, um, I had, I've been doing brick and mortar retail since 81 probably or something like that. And when the internet came out, uh, that sounds funny to say, or when I found out about the <laughs> internet, that still sounds funny to say nowadays, back in 95, I guess. I decided I had a uh, brick, I had a, a wallpaper store, wallpaper decorating store is the largest wallpaper store in Texas. It still runs. We sold it last year to someone who runs it under the name Leland's Wallpaper still. But I thought at the time, I said, you know, this Internet would be pretty good for selling wallpaper to people in other parts of the country. Um, that was in 95. And so I contacted all my vendors and stuff and I said, Hey, I'm going to start this website and try to sell wallpaper. Do you have any images I could use to put on the website? And they all said, that's the stupidest thing we ever heard of. We're not even going to waste our time giving you any images to put on there. And so I was like, okay. So I worked on it for a while, but I couldn't get the shopping cart built, you know, cause you couldn't buy plugins really back then. Um, and there wasn't WordPress and stuff. You had to do everything pretty much from scratch. So I gave it up in the next year in 96, I dug into it again. I said, okay, I'm going to get this done. And I finally did it. I built a site and got the shopping cart working. And then I bought a scanner because digital cameras weren't even out yet. And we would take wallpaper books and cut the pages out of them and uh, scan the pieces of wallpaper to put on the website. And it took off like no tomorrow. Um, it's, it's kind of funny when you have a new niche that comes out or a new technology at least ways the community that first forms around that technology really is very helpful in wanting it to grow like in the wallpaper community i got emails all the time about a mistyping or uh (laughs) something didn't show up right i would have we would take a trip to houston and we would be going through all the emails that i'd gotten on errors on the website people would just out of the blue want to let me know hey just want to let you know this is blah 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 same thing happened in podcasting same thing Happened in Bitcoin. It forms tight communities, but that's basically how I started the, my experience on the internet was, I guess I built the first e-commerce site for a website back in 96. And then, uh, I guess I kind of repeated it again with the first e-commerce website for girls fast pitch softball in the year 2000. And, you know, when you do the first of something on a technology like the internet, you grow rather quickly. Um, you know, everybody migrates to you. I remember on the, softball website i knew i had a good thing going because i would get phone calls every day from people going 
I just have to call you and let you know, this website's the coolest website I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to tell everybody I know about this website. And uh, so when you get phone calls like that, which I doubt you, we, we would get today. Today, no. But, but back then, it was really kind of, I said, I think we're on to something here, guys. These people are pretty excited, and we had to accept checks in the mail. Yeah. And so we would accept checks back in the days. And we wanted the softball website. It was called softballjunk.com. And like I said, it catered to the girls' fast-pitch softball, so super micro-niche. But we wanted to do just e-commerce on that. But we had to have an address for them to send the checks to, you know, because they sent checks in the mail back then, too. So I'm not putting my credit card on the Internet. Yep. You know, oh, sir, I'll go in a restaurant and hand it to a stranger to walk out the room with it. But I'm not putting it on <laughs> your, or yeah. that Internet. And so we would receive, we'd see people in the parking lot, and they'd be knocking on the door because all we had was a warehouse. And going, is there a softball store in here? So like, we go, no. yeah, 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 well, I'm too sure good. I go, yeah, come and go, well, can we come in? I said, okay. And, you know, we got to the point where we were doing like 30 grand a month. People oh, just wow. walking, hunting for us. <laughs> we, yeah. even, we didn't even want the business. Yeah. So I said, hey, guys, we got to uh, take everything out of these boxes and turn this warehouse into a store. And so that's what we did. And uh, that became that business. So that was another business. So, But that's basically... Uh, my forte into the internet was businesses uh, I wanted to run. It's amazing the difference when a person does something like that in the beginning and takes it onto their self rather than trying to bring it to somebody else. So your story about how the, they were like, we're not even going to send you pictures or whatever. <laughs> Nobody will buy it, right? It makes me think of, uh, I, don't, you're, I don't know if you're familiar with Ed Wallace. He's very well known in our market as an AM radio uh, host on the weekends. He does a show called Wheels in the Car Market. He's been on air. I think he's retiring this October. He's been on the air for like 38 years. Oh, wow. And he built the first ever uh, website for car shopping online. Change your All the stuff you do today, change your color, add your options. He took it to all the manufacturers. They all said it was crazy. Nobody would ever buy a car online. And he never did anything with it. He basically tossed the code. You know, and you, you look back at that and go, if you just – Made it your own the way that you did with wallpaper and softball. The guy probably be worth more than you and me and Mark Cuban put together today. And it's a case for entrepreneurship and not trying to help people that don't want to be helped. Like run with, run with the pack, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you just got to um, go with what you think inside. Cause like I said, everybody basically told me people won't buy stuff on the internet. That's kind of a waste of time. And I said, well, I would buy stuff on the internet. So I don't know why. No one else would buy stuff on the internet. That was my thinking. And so, um, you know, I went with it. And, um, you know, actually, on the softball store, I had some softball teams that I ran a league here, and I wanted to get softball equipment cheaper. So I started a website to sell softball equipment just to, like, try to get uh, prices cheaper from distributors. But then I looked at it one month and said, oh, my God, we did $5,000 this month, and I'm just messing around with this at night. I said if uh, I had like four or five uh, college kids that worked on all my websites, okay. I said, if we really worked on this, we could turn this into uh, an interest into a, a nice uh, profit margin. So I said, everybody quit working on that wallpaper website. Start working on the softball <laughs> website. And I think the next month we did ten thousand. Next month we did like twenty. Next month we did like forty. But I mean, it grew like that just because it was the first one and the only one. As I said earlier, people were excited. They didn't have to go to a baseball website to buy stuff for their daughters or yeah. men's slow pitch websites. I remember one fall, we had to buy football cleats for my daughter because we couldn't find 
baseball cleats. Yeah, because it was the season, and we played ball all year long. So it was well-received. I guess being a softball coach gave me an insight as to what kids needed more than the other stores had. It's the thing, you know, with podcasting, marketing in general, I just think there's so many unexploited niches still available even today. Uh, it's not, it's not the super early days that we started out with because we're both old yeah. now, right? But there's still like, I had no idea. I had a, a job at one point in my life and I had no idea how big like girls soccer was in college. And I ended up with like two women that I was working with that both had daughters that run full, full ride scholarships for soccer. Like, this is a huge thing, and you have, like, you have no idea. And I think, like, those niches, like you said, when somebody addresses those niches mm-hmm. and no one else ever has, then that community gets tight fast. And, and that kind of yeah. leads me to where I want to go next with you, podcasting. So you're also, like, an OG podcaster, man. You've been around longer than me, and that's – I'm 14 and a half years consecutive running. That's a long time in this game, and you, you're around know. longer than that. What brought you into the world of podcasting? Well, I used to, like I said, I've been basically a salesman or a marketer, you know, my whole life since I got out of school, uh, and usually for myself. And I had a thing I subscribed to that was uh, a newsletter, uh, internet newsletter that, uh, that sounds funny to say now, internet newsletter. Who would subscribe to a newsletter now in the mail? Yeah. But uh, I subscribed to a newsletter that had said, there's this thing getting ready to come out called podcasting. This could turn into something. Who knows? And so... I, I told one of the techs working for me, hey, we need to get into this podcasting, whatever in the hell this is. Whatever it is. Yeah, and uh, he was home for college uh, for Thanksgiving, I think, and uh, he ended up moving on to work for Google. He was a smart kid, and um, he built – we started a podcast show about softball equipment because that's what I did was softball equipment. It was called the Sports Podcast. I think it was the first podcast that was sports-related. And uh, I would interview people in the sports world and then talk about softball equipment. But in the meantime, he built, uh, I just wanted to do the show. And he was working over there for a couple of weeks and I didn't know what was taking him so long because I really didn't even know what podcasting was yet. And he ended up building a complete podcast directory. And I had one of the first podcast directories called Podcast Pickle. And so I had the first oh, show. I remember on that. It. Yeah. The first show on it was. Uh, sports podcast show, uh, which was the interviews. And then, then in 2006, Time Magazine ran that website as one of their 50 coolest websites in the world. So that was kind of cool. But used to be when iPods were out before iPhones, if you wanted to go find a podcast, Apple didn't have them listed yet. They didn't have a podcast genre. They didn't even have that genre on their podcast yet, on their iPod. You had yeah. to come to my site. I guess you could go to people's websites, but you basically would come to my site, browse the podcast and find one you like and hook up your iPod and download it overnight so you could have it the next morning to listen to when you went to work or whatever. I still remember when I came home uh, one night and I told my wife, said, Kathy, we have just got our 100th podcast listed on oh, Podcast wow. Pickle. You know, that was a big thing to us was that we broke 100 podcasts on there. This was going to go somewhere. You know, but that's how I got into podcasting was I just read a small clip on it. I'm, I'm kind of like one of those people. If I see something and it makes sense to me, I just do it immediately. I don't research it. I don't spend a lot of time testing it or doing, see which way it goes. I just start doing it. And that's another case of that. What well, did it for me? I like you, I big background with sales and marketing. And I, and I always recognize that audio was the most powerful form of marketing. 
because the only marketing that can be consumed in earnest while doing something else. Yeah. So like if it may, you know, morning bathroom ritual, maybe you could read, but if you're out walking or you're working out in the gym or you're driving in your car, even if you're reading, you shouldn't be, you're not going to give it your full attention. Video also requires that kind of visual component to it. But audio, if I could get audio to you. No, then, I agree a hundred percent. And I got you, man. You go to the gym, you're in your car, whatever, you know, you can consume audio. And like some of my early listeners, like John from SOE, whose shirt I'm wearing, like he literally forced his employees to listen to my show while they were working. Like he pumped it into the, into the warehouse while they were selling equipment and stuff like that. And, and it just had that flexibility. But the way I got in was like, I was doing, uh, I had a company that did, uh, websites, web development, programming, things like that. And we got a guy that was a financial advisor and he wanted a podcast along with all the rest of the web suite we were developing for him. So I'm like, I bid the job got the job, took it back to my lead dev, and I'm like, here, build this. And he's like, I don't know how to do podcasts. And I'm like, I've been thinking about this anyway. So I started doing a podcast in my car with like an MP, little Samsung MP3 replay, uh, player and a, and a headset. And like I did it for like two weeks, and I'm like, oh, this is a hell of a lot better than what I do now. <laughs> and like I get home, and I didn't want to punch a hole in the wall anymore because I had kind of vented to my audience of like three people at that point. And I was like, I know this is going to work now. I, I could tell this was going to work. And that was June of 08. And it, it, I, I do think that if you're in a sales and marketing space at that time, if you had your eyes open and you looked at it, you knew what podcasting was going to become because of that, that audio marketability factor that, like, I remember, like, you remember guys, like, spending tons of money to make a bunch of cassette tapes and mail them to people? Yeah, I do. I do. Right? I that was, like, info it. marketing. And then it went to uh, DVD play, DVDs they would mail. Yeah. And then, like, okay, so wait a minute. I can take this audio content. I can generate new content every day, and I can distribute it at the speed of light across the Internet, across the world. Like, I, I was actually surprised how long it took for podcasting to turn into what it did. Long time. Because that was so immediately evident. But like you said at the beginning, you had like podcatchers and stuff like that. You didn't have, but once Apple adopted it, it was like game on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that killed Podcast Pickle, unfortunately. Cause yeah. I even switched over to Apple and then they had it on the iPhone. Oh my gosh. You don't even need to hook it up to a directory anymore. I mean, you know, um, they really, they really killed it. But you know, podcasting, the thing about podcasting was that I remember is I was, once, I mean, once we started moving on Podcast Pickle and I started doing the podcast, I was sold and I was a guru and I loved it and I thought it was the best thing ever. But everybody I told about it would go, that's stupid. Why wouldn't you just listen to the radio in your car? And I was going, this is way better than the radio in your car. I mean, this is way better. You can select what to listen to. You don't have to have car. Yeah, that's stupid. You know, so I've heard that a lot in my life about things I've done. You know, uh, yeah. today with Bitcoin, you know, for the longest time I heard, oh, that's just made up Internet money. That's not anything. That's just made up money. I go, all money is made up. <laughs> I mean, you know. But, yeah, I've heard that most of my life. It's a matter of, you know, being able to see beyond the doubting uh, Debbies or the doubting Thomases or whatever and, and still go forward where many a person, I think, sees something and has a great idea. Cause even my dad would say this. He goes, I thought of that and I should have moved on it. I'd be a millionaire today. Well, you should have dad. <laughs> I mean, you know, you should have, you're right. You know, whose fault is that? You know, there's always that guy. I thought of the, you know, the, the, the rear windshield wiper or something like that, you know, yeah. that, that it, it, people, everybody, 
everybody has thought of something that eventually came out. But thinking of it and doing it are, are, are way different. I remember I was a little kid in school. I had this idea for a watch you could play games on. Oh. And I thought my idea was valid. Well, the idea was valid, but I, I could have sat there with a Casio and a, a soldering iron all day, and I wasn't going to ever, ever actually make it into it. This is back when people played Atari. I mean, that's, that's how long ago this is, right? I have one of those somewhere for my kids. That's probably vintage now. Oh, the Atari 2600 is full-on vintage, man. That's that's hipster nirvana if you've got a an original Atari 2600. I got a lot of vintage stuff around here because <laughs> I, I don't get rid of much stuff. I always go, that'll be worth something someday. I'll just keep that. It doesn't take up much room. You know, I so think we're, this house is full with vintage stuff in storage. I think you and I are both vintage ourselves at this point, right? We're yeah. like vintage people. Um what brought you to Bitcoin then? So, like, you were in the Internet, then you got into the podcasting. Like, when did you adopt – or I wouldn't say adopt because that's that's a that's a gradient, right? Like, people yeah. find Bitcoin, they learn about Bitcoin, they buy some Bitcoin, and really adopt is something that takes time. When did you first learn about Bitcoin and actually, you know, maybe buy your first Bitcoin, learn more about it? That well, I actually uh, bought my first Bitcoin, I'd say, in early to mid-2017. Okay. You know, I had been exposed to it first time. I think on your typical uh, Bitcoin story where it took me three shots to finally move in. The first time was $100 of Bitcoin. I was told about it. And uh, by Mark Risen, I don't know if you know him out of Dallas, Dr. Yeah. Bitcoin. And he explained to me, I was going over to Callie Lewis's and them studio, and he had a place in the back. And he started explaining it to me as online stocks. He says, I, online, I said, I don't mess with that. I said, I lose money <laughs> all the time when I do online stocks. He goes, well, this is a little different. Said, and he wasn't able to express the difference. Okay. And, and the next time I was exposed to it was by Adam Curry. Uh, used to be an old MTV VJ. And it was around maybe $800 or something a coin, maybe 1000 And uh, still it wasn't sold on it. Then I was speaking at the Big D conference in Dallas. And I'd finished my session. I'm walking down the hall, and there was like four or five of my friends were there talking. So I walked up there, and they were finishing up. A guy named Tony Sakala, who used to run the WordPress meetup over in Dallas, was talking about Bitcoin. And I got the last part of it. And he mentioned uh, that it was the only missing Internet protocol. There wasn't a protocol for money, and this was it. And that is what it took to hear that. Cause He's my your language. Yeah, and I said, Oh, when, then they all just walked away, the other four people. I don't know yeah. if they bought Bitcoin to this day. And I said, Tony, tell me about that. I've missed most of it. Can you kind of refresh that? And it was my third time I'd been told about Bitcoin. And so we sat on the couch, and this was like 1 o'clock, and like 5.30 came, and the conference was over, and we were still sitting on the couch talking about Bitcoin. I went home. Uh, being a podcast guy, I immediately got on my phone, found a podcast about Bitcoin. There were a ton of them already. Listen to one on the way home. I got home. I called Tony up and said, hey, are you going to be at the conference tomorrow? And I said, yeah. I said, can I talk to you some more about Bitcoin? He said, sure. So we went over and talked some more about Bitcoin. I don't think we attended the conference. We got well, we talked about Bitcoin. I went to his house. I was mining operation. And uh, that night when I came home, I started buying Bitcoin. Um, you know, so um, that was my Bitcoin story. I just had to have someone explain it to me in a method I could understand. Because, you know, as you know, Bitcoin's hard to see. But once you yeah. see it, you can't unsee it. Correct. You know, um, but it is hard to see, and especially for, I think, uh, boomers, because they aren't even as familiar with the Internet as maybe you and I are the web. You know, they're, and they're used to being coddled, by being taken care of by a bank. 
They aren't used yeah. to being their own bank. And, you know, as you know, being your own bank with great is a great power. And with like I say, with great power comes great responsibility. And most of them aren't prepared for that responsibility. You know? Yeah, my father's still paying. He's a good stock trader, but he's still paying a bro. He still makes a phone call. I want to buy, you know, X number of shares with like <laughs> that. I mean, like, you could have like $8 <laughs> trades on E-Trade or something, and he won't even yeah. get a computer, you know? He's a bit older than both of us, but there's a lot of that out there. And, um, yeah, there yeah, is I, one. <laughs> that one always gets me though. What's yeah. the goal to make a trade? You can make yeah. it instantaneously or set up. And you know that broker sitting there with his own online, like, okay, yeah, Mr. Spirko, I've placed that order for you. It should clear any, it's already there, right? Yeah. It, it should clear sometime today. You'll get a trade confirmation by you. Oh, you don't have email. Uh, well, you, you get it in the mail in a, in a week, you know, like. And do you, do you think sometimes they must be going, you know, you're sitting there, they're sitting there talking to you and they're going, and they're saying to the other guys, what is an idiot? He's calling me <laughs> to type this in for him. <laughs> it makes me think of the movie Boiler Room, you know, where they're pretending like all the, the, the floors in chaos or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a, it's a world. I mean, to be fair to people, it's fluxed a lot in our lifetime. If I think back to like 1993 when I got out of the army to even 2013, so that 20 year period, the flux in that 20 years. Well, go to me, uh, you know, uh, I graduated high school in 73. Okay. You know, <laughs> I've seen a hell of a lot of change. You know, that extra 20 years there is a big, big difference because we got off the gold standard in 71. Yeah. So everything started happening on steroids. That, you know, for that 20 year period was on steroids, which it still is, you know. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, now uh, the growth of technology is even at a faster pace. Everything's at a faster pace. You know, the where it took the Internet uh, still sounds funny when I say the Internet. I don't know. Yeah. I'm probably saying that an old fart way, a boomer. Yeah. Way. It's probably a boomer thing to say. But it, if you think how long it took the net to grow to being something used on a regular basis, I mean, uh, Bitcoin is growing at a much faster rate, you know, because of the net, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I think and because of the U.S. government's help, of course, um, and actually the world's help, I guess, people, people who don't like the U.S. government, you know, countries that don't like that. But they're all contributing to the growth of Bitcoin. I've described Bitcoin as the first ever asymmetric weapon, right? So the asymmetric warfare is a very ancient concept. You can go back and read The Art of War, and there's concepts that are asymmetric warfare in there. But an asymmetric weapon is totally different. So if I let's we go, we'll go back in time where everybody's got flint lo, you know flintlocks, right? And if I had somehow come up with a semi-automatic rifle when everybody else had flintlocks, the worst thing that could happen to me is my enemy gets the weapon. If my enemy gets the weapon, now we're equalized, and now now it's bad for me because I had an unfair advantage, right? I had an asymmetric advantage. I've lost it. Where with Bitcoin, every time anybody picks up and starts using Bitcoin, the network gets stronger, the effect is stronger. The price action is stronger, and I try not to focus on price. I know you're the same way with that, but like in the end, it is part of the whole equation. So, if you took the entities that we most consider ourselves in, in adversarial relationships with, the more they themselves accept the inevitable and adopt Bitcoin, the better it is for us. And I don't know that there's ever been a thing that if you would think of someone as an adversary or an enemy, that you would more want them to embrace. All right. I think that um, you know Bitcoin is. It actually could be a weapon very easily by the United States government, I believe. 
I think the way we've weaponized money, we could weaponize Bitcoin. They could just, sure. since they can print as much money as they want, I mean, people say, well, they start mining Bitcoin. Why would they mine Bitcoin? I would if I were them. I I'd wouldn't. Just i just print more money. Yeah. With your money, right? With yeah. your debt, not even your money, your debt. Yeah. I'm just going to print. They could just say, instead of giving Ukraine, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, but instead yeah. of giving Ukraine $80 million or whatever the amount 80 is. 80 billion, right? 80 billion, thanks. Uh, they could just buy Tomorrow, $80 billion worth of Bitcoin and corner the Bitcoin market, you know? And once they started doing that, oh, my gosh, then they would have another weapon in their arsenal, you know? I would so, also have a, I would have a small country known as Jakistan, though. That's the other side of that, right? Like, if they did that, you know, I ain't selling. And so at some point, my holdings, if they did that, I could have my little island with you know, my M2s oh, up sure. on it. Yeah. But enough, enough people would sell, and they have the money to buy at whatever the cost is. So the, the cost is not an issue to them. Even if it got to $100,000, that's not an issue. And how much yeah. Bitcoin would they own in the meantime, you know, if they were started buying it? And then, and, and without announcing it, and then all of a sudden they announce, okay, just like, just like anyone else does, they would announce, okay, I've got enough of it ready to go. But we've been buying Bitcoin. We now have 25% of all the Bitcoin in the world, you know? I'm not so. sure that's not already happening with at least some central bank somewhere because if I was running a central bank, I would look at it as an asymmetric trade. I'm spending money that doesn't exist anyway. Right. If this whole Bitcoin thing fails, it doesn't matter. Yeah, because it wasn't real money to begin with. <laughs> right. But the, the reality of that, you go back to the asymmetric weapon, any central bank puts it on the balance sheet. Every central bank has to put it on the balance sheet. Like it becomes a race at that point. And it's part of why I think there's been so much uh, – knuckle-dragging, heel-dragging resistance to a spot ETF. Mm. Because I think a spot ETF, the wall of money that comes down is one thing, but the part that no one seems to get, I had this discussion with Marty Benton, I don't think he wants to get it, is that it makes Bitcoin bluntly unfuckwithable, right? The day that Bitcoin is on the retirement account of a firefighter or a school teacher or some other city-level worker, and it's part of their pension, you can't all this idea that they're going to make it illegal or, or something like that. Like you can't do it now. You can't, you can't go there. It ends up with this kind of like well, was, was gold, not in people's pensions and stuff at some point. I, I mean, that not, would be my question to that is, and they certainly made that illegal. Then. Well, that was just because gold was money. Yeah. Right. We're not talking about an exchange traded fund here. You go into an ETF and you actually have it as a classification of asset on a pension. Because the problem we have today is we think of gold as like this thing that you buy and you hold. And at the time, all of that happened. It wasn't. It was just the thing that backed money itself. So they changed the money. And, and you know, they also – it wasn't something that was done quickly either. They they repegged in, what, 33, and they finally decoupled in 71. And then that's the thing people don't get. Like you didn't actually see the decoupling until 75 when, when, when ownership became – uh, possible privately and openly again, right? So in 71, Nixon closed the gold window, but nothing really happened to gold price. If you would go back and look at a historical chart, 1975, the average person could buy and hold gold again. And then what was it around 60 bucks or something an ounce at the time? Yeah, it was like, I think it was pegged falsely to 33 all the way up to 71 and it creeped up to like 60 bucks. You're right. And then it went up to hundreds of dollars. And then in, now we're both showing our age. Back in 82, the Hunt brothers tried to corner the silver market, silver market. and that jacked everything up, right? 
I think that got up to $50 an ounce back then. Yeah. It and was then coal went up with it. Yeah. Maybe to 600 or something. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going history here. <laughs> but well, yeah, I just like, remember because I went down to the gold store, silver store, and sold all my sold gold it. and silver. Sold my high school ring, sold all my junk stuff I had. My dad used to work at the Naval Shipyard in Charleston, South Carolina. And, uh, he was a welder there and they were, they had dredges that would go out in the harbor and the rivers and dredge to make them deeper. And like all the metal contents or all the solid stuff would all be filtered down to this room. I, I never went there, so I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but they would dig at lunch. They'd go in this room or wherever this was and they'd dig through all this debris that was picked up off the ocean floor. Hmm. And he would bring home rings, all kinds of rings and jewelry oh, wow. and all kinds of stuff that had fallen off people's fingers. And so we had a ton of this stuff and uh, that he had given me over the year because it didn't have that big a value. So I went at 50 bucks an ounce. I was selling it all. I don't remember what year it was, but it was, I'm talking the last 10 years. There was a huge run up on silver. And I remember telling people, like, if you're holding some silver in your box long term, don't worry about this. But if you have stuff... That you, you see as tradable. If you have a silver, you know, you're holding SLV in your, your IRA or something like that right now. I'm like, I would go ahead and get out and buy it back if that's what you want to hold long term because we're out to have a crash in the silver market. People ask me how I knew. I said, when the gas stations started putting, like gas stations and laundromats started putting up signs that said, we buy silver. I'm like, that was kind of like, remember the, I was one of the Rockefellers, I think that said the shoe sign boy gave him a stock tip and no, he's like, was, yeah, that was Joe Kennedy. That was Joe Kennedy. Out. Was I, that? Think that was Joe, I think that was Joe Kennedy. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I know my history. I, mean, yeah, I, don't, know the, I don't know all the details, but I know yeah. a little bit about everything. Yeah, that was uh, Old Man Kennedy. He's like, yeah, Shoeshine Boy gave me a tip on a stock, and I'm like, sell it all, get out. Like, yeah, clear it's like out. right now, gold is $1,600 an ounce, and silver is 19 an ounce. That's crazy. I mean, really, yeah. I'm not into gold and silver, but you that's crazy that it's that low. Okay. Yeah, that's, but you're that's, talking about like, do you think it's crazy the spread between silver and gold? Because the historical correlation between those two metals, that's that's a big spread. Yeah, well, it's been a big spread for a while though, ever yeah. since. Uh, ever, but it used to be like maybe ten ounces of silver equal to an ounce of gold, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it is a big spread now, but you know, I don't know. I think it's just crazy those two are that low. I know they're not used for currency anymore, but I feel like those have probably been manipulated. I know they've been manipulated. As to who's manipulating or how many things are manipulating, it's another story. But from what I see, the banks, all the world, all the banks, central banks of the world are stocking up on gold like no tomorrow. Yeah. But the price is dropping, you know? Yeah, I get shit from the Bitcoin community sometimes because I'm still an advocate of, of diversification in your investments. And I still recommend holding silver and gold as, as, as basically a wealth hedge. And, uh, I, I don't really see the problem with that. If you want to, if, and, I, and then I get shit from the gold people because I say gold's terrible money today because it's yeah. not programmable, it's not movable at the speed of light. It, you know, it, it costs. Well, if you were a lot trying to get to out of Hong Kong some time ago, you certainly weren't getting out with a bucket full of gold. That's for damn sure. Well, you could have twelve words in your head, right? Yeah. I mean, that that was it, it, it's it's completely it, unless you absolutely know the person has the knowledge. There's no way to censor the distribution of the knowledge, even if you extorted the 12 words out of me. Maybe I gave it to somebody else, and now there's a dollar left in there. I don't know, right? Like, there's always a way. Well, you can always have more than one wallet, and when with your sure. 12 words that you give away, it goes, okay, that's only 5% of my stash, and that's enough to keep them happy. You know? yep. So, I mean, you yep. know. So, But 
Yeah, I'm not a big gold or silver guy. I can see where people would think it uh, would be worth holding on to. I guess it's I don't think it's ever coming back as they uh, to no. back any kind of currency ever since the China has uh, more. China's number one in gold mining and Russia's number two. That would put us number three. I don't think the U.S. dollar, the U.S. government wants to go back to that since we don't control it, um, which gets back to my statement earlier. They should take advantage of it since it's basically free form and control Bitcoin, get as yeah. much of it as they can. Yeah. You know? Because uh, they, I just can't see them going, okay, we're going to make, we're back by gold again. Oh, and China's got more gold than we do. And they, or they don't have more, but they have more new gold coming out of the ground. Absolutely. I was going to say, because we don't, I, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist in spite of the name of the show, but uh, the whole Fort Knox thing intrigues me that it's never really <laughs> it's been, never audited, been audited, right? Like, yeah, like maybe we should know what's really in there, you know. And uh, well, like, if you've if read uh, bars, Jekyll like, Island, the creature from Jekyll Island, you kind of understand all that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you audit it once, and I think they even only audited like one room of gold and said, okay, and we got 50 of these rooms or whatever. Yeah, so just <laughs> just multiply it out. And I don't think anybody drilled a hole in a bar either and like yeah. tested the purity of the gold from the center or whatever. So right. even You'd, that. Yeah. But the only way you can really do that, I guess, is melt. So that's a question, you know, when France came and picked up all their gold. Yeah. You know, they sent like a battleship fleet over here and picked yeah. up all their gold to take back. Uh, do you think they melted that all down and redid uh, it to Doubt see if it. it was all gold? They just I've, moved it from one hole in the ground to another hole in the ground, most likely. I, mean, I, I would think they would say, hey, yeah, we want to make sure we got a, what, what we gave them. You know, because that was the yeah. thing. You know, uh, you know, Germany was taking over all these countries, and first thing they did was pillage all their gold assets. So I think the European countries said, we need to get this gold out of here. Yeah. <laughs> get it over yeah. to someplace safer. So they sent it all over here. But then when yeah. they started wanting it back, well, that's a different story. Yeah, because that's a lot of people don't know that. That's what it was. Uh, what's his name uh, from France? God, I, I keep saying Marcon because he's the current guy. But uh, it was the one guy that was ahead of France and back in the in the seventies, and he was yeah. like just cashing in all the. All, I want the gold for the dollar. I want the gold for the dollar, and that's yeah, what. As soon as you say his name, I'm going to know it. I yeah, and my head now. hurts that I can't think. Now, now you're going to be somebody you. in the chat will tell us to make us both feel dumb. But, but uh, yeah, so and they sent like a battleship fleet. I guess. I guess that was pretty smart. If you're taking that much gold, your whole country's worth of gold. You need to make sure it doesn't. Uh, yeah. Get, the ship doesn't get sunk. You aren't sending it over with one boat. See, that's the thing that makes a huge case for Bitcoin for me, though, because in you know one block, it's moved. Right. right. It, 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 it instantly, like when we think about moving a couple thousand bucks, that's not that big a deal. But when you start talking about moving a hundred million, a billion dollars worth of wealth, the cost in moving that in, in a heavy metal from security, transportation, et cetera, is massive. And what if you're moving it back and forth? And you see this on a small scale, though, because this is what killed it for me with it being used as money ever again. When I started doing my membership program back in uh, 2009, I took online credit card payments, PayPal, it's the same any any site would have at the time. I also took check by mail because there were people that just, I'm like you said, I'm not putting my credit card number. Okay, <laughs> fine, right? I refuse to use PayPal. I, I get it. They're evil, whatever, but fine. And then I also took silver uh, by mail. I wouldn't take gold because it would be you know, like a tenth of a gram or something because it's a $50 membership. Right. And I used to get 30, 40 ounces of silver a month, and I sold membership for like uh, two ounces to a membership. So it was not a huge part of the business, but it was it was significant. I haven't seen silver come through in five years. 
Hmm. But now I get more orders for Bitcoin than I ever got in silver and gold. Well, you know, that's kind of funny. Right now, you know, with podcasts, I mean, with a BitBlock boom, you know, of course, we accept Bitcoin. Now that Bitcoin is down, I have more orders with Bitcoin than I've had ever had with Bitcoin. Uh, then again, though, the conference has grown a lot. But yeah. still, it's um, I'm surprised at the amount of Bitcoin I'm receiving, which is kind of cool since I'm a long term believer, um, you know, in Bitcoin. Um, I'm kind of excited about it. So I kind of say to everybody, hey, if you think Bitcoin's going down, just pay with your tickets for Bitcoin. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. take the chance. <laughs> See, I'm at a point now, though, because of technologies like Strike, I'm spending more Bitcoin than ever without actually selling or spending any of my Bitcoin. Right. That's what I do too. I, I buy yeah. like cash app if I want to send some. I'll yep. buy it on cash app and just transfer it to whoever needs it. If I go to a restaurant and I see the big orange B, I'm like, you bet I'm going to pay my bill in Bitcoin. And all I'm doing is like, check comes. I'm going to need this much to cover, uh, you know, the tip, deposit, stand. But you know, when you come to that part, you know, like Landry's, you're familiar with the Landry's chain of restaurants. Yeah. Um, what is it downtown? They own the steak, fine steak place downtown on Main Street. Three Forks. Uh, what's across the street from that? Uh, Capitol Grill. Oh, Cap no, down a little further next to Capitol Rock Grill. House, like, like, yes, yes. I'm revealing my addiction here, right? They, uh, <laughs> they, accept, they accept Bitcoin. Yeah. And, uh, but, and, and they have like three restaurants. I've been to three restaurants now of Landry's, the one in Arlington here, uh, two on Main Street and they accept Bitcoin. But when you go and say, I want to pay in Bitcoin, they go, we, don't know what that is. I was told uh -huh. actually at all three of them that they don't accept Bitcoin. Okay. And I go, I got your app here and you definitely accept Bitcoin. Yeah. And I want to pay in Bitcoin because I get a rebate, uh, Bitcoin yeah. rebate. They've got it set up. And so, but none of the three knew how to do it. Um, as a matter of fact. So it's not like everybody who accepts Bitcoin knows what they, how to do it. Well, you know, the term greenwashing, I come up with the term orange washing. There's a ton of big companies. They'll take Bitcoin or they'll say crypto and take other crap too. And like, They hold none. It's immediately back end swapped and it's going into dollars. Like Target takes Bitcoin apparently. I don't think Oh, I Target. didn't know that. Yeah. Maybe they don't even do it anymore. They did at one time anyway. And I don't think they ever had a single Bitcoin on a balance sheet, right? Like, so there is yeah. this market that if you, if you sell in Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners will come and there's right. getting to be more and more and more of us. But yeah, I'm, I'm big on using apps like Strike, like Cash App, et cetera, so that I'm not actually creating a tax consequence. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not because yeah. it's first in, first out. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so actually that yeah. would be. It never went in. It never went in. I sent dollars. They got Bitcoin. It's not my problem. Yeah. They, uh, you know, I saw this morning that uh, Google is now setting up to accept Bitcoin for um, their um, Google storage service. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Every time a major asymmetric warfare tool, again, every time a major brand does this, it brings interest. I know, like, my nephew and uh, I guess you call her my niece. I don't know what your nephew's wife is to you, my niece-in-law, right? They they run a uh, an online business. It's 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 100% uh, membership-driven, kind of like a lot of my businesses. And I'm like, you just guys need to just accept the Bitcoin. Like, you don't have to buy it. All you have to do is accept it. Yeah. And, like, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Then Musk bought some Bitcoin and said Tesla was going to accept it. And five minutes later, my phone's ringing off the hook and my nephew's like, how do we do this? How? Like, I'm like, man, you're sitting at like the pinnacle of the top of the market right now. It was like in the fifties headed to 60. I'm like, 
I, I would accept it, but I wouldn't go buying any right now. And, you know, then, then that's when everybody wants to jump in. It's, it is kind of crazy. Um, but in all this, I will admit I am a former shit coiner. Um, I made some money on it, lost some money on it. Most of my picks were good for the time that they were made. I was a number go up guy in the beginning. I didn't get the full thing, but eventually I came around to full on maximalism. And I, I think the- that's normal. And, and I did the same thing. I, I okay. think when someone gets into uh, Bitcoin, you know, and they go, Oh my gosh, this went from a nickel to $60,000. Let's yeah. say they go, gosh, if I can get one of these ones that are nickel, and it just one? goes up to a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. a natural progression. I don't think that's uh, anything unusual. Let me put it that way. It's not a smart move normally. And you can make money with shit coins. It's just long term. You're not. And you'd be better off just to buy Bitcoin and support yeah. the network. I think the main difference between shit coiners and Bitcoiners, I always say, is shit coiners just want to make money. Correct. That's all they care about is making money. Where Bitcoiners, they do want to make money. I'm not saying they don't, too. But they realize that Bitcoin can change the world. So they're just as worried about changing the world for the better as they are about making money, where shitcoiners just want to make money. They don't give a shit about the world. I actually came up with a phrase for myself because I was a little more selective with, like, what's the use case? I called myself a shitcoin minimalist right, instead of a Bitcoin maximalist. And I always want to know these use cases. But as I watched Lightning develop, I went, like, every use case you have is moot and gone now to a large degree. The other thing was that – I started realizing a lot of these promises were nothing but promises. These shit coins would come out. We're going to build a thing, but we have to have a token first so we can build a thing. Well, why don't you go build the thing? Like, Especially so if you went through the ICO phase. You really yeah. Saw, you know. yeah. Yeah. I was around for all of that. Like, yeah, like we're going to build it. The only one I ever saw before they closed the window on the ICOs is that we're going to build a thing. Here's our ICO. And then they built the thing with the Brave Browser. Oh, yeah, yeah. They actually, I, I use it to this day. Tons of people use it, don't even know what crypto is. They built a legitimate product that they funded through an ICO. And I. What does really, that pay in? Pay in bat? Is that what's what that, that pay? What does that pay in? Pay in, in, in basic attention tokens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, and it's, a, it's a big pain it. in the ass because it's on the ERC. Well, I guess it's on the, the merge now, but it was on the ERC20, so the fees were stupid. Um, I still have people that tip me in, in bat because it's integrated into the browser and getting it out because they like use a third party for the exchange because they don't want to touch it because then their, their hands are messy. It's called uphold. It's, it's a big mess. And then you have things like, you know, the Albi extension that people could just instantaneously drop lightning form Bitcoin in your lap on, on any site that you run. And, and more and more of that's being developed. About the only place that I'd like to see Bitcoin really do more, but I think it's coming, is privacy. Like yeah, well, that's, you got, you got to realize Bitcoin, um, compared to shit coins, you know, those people just made that money up and they yeah. can use as much of it as they want to. So they can pay as many coders as they need to to move quickly. Correct. And it doesn't hurt them if they move quickly and mess up because <laughs> it's a scam anyway. Yeah. Where Bitcoin, there's trillion, uh, not quite a trillion dollars, but I think pretty close to it in there. They have to move slowly and they don't have a lot of free Bitcoin just to be giving people to come to work for them. So it's two Correct. different uh, scenarios complete. You know, your comment about your shitcoin minimalist, I was at Unconfiscatable in Vegas. Have you ever been to that conference? No. Uh, it's Tone Vey's conference. And I think in 20, 20, maybe 2020, uh, he had hats. He was given out that said shitcoin minimalist. 
Okay. So, so, so I have seen that. So I don't know if he got that from you or not. Uh, I but he was giving out. He was I did three day twenty twenty on that term. I, I will say that. Like, yeah. um, that's interesting. But yeah, privacy is the one place I can see it tightened up. But I think that's happening. Um, I think it is too. I think that's slowly. Bitcoin just doesn't do anything fast. I mean, no. let's face it. They're very slow moving on a steady path. You know, because um, really all they have to do is screw up one time. Yeah. And and uh, you're going to lose a lot of faith in them. So they move very slowly. So I'm happy with them moving slowly. That's why I like the layered solution approach, because if you go out and come up with the next layered application for Bitcoin and right. you screw it up, Bitcoin don't care. Yeah. So you have this place you can take these risks and move quickly and try to do things. And if it doesn't work, you don't hurt this perfect thing we have at the core. And I, I people get mad at me when I say perfect. I'm comparing it to everything else. I'm not saying it's without flaw. I'm saying compared to everything else that we have as a monetary instrument, it's well, you it's know, and where, and where have we seen layered solutions before? You know, everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, money has credit cards riding on top of it, PayPal yeah. riding on top of it, or at one point it was gold with dollars riding on top of it and credit cards riding on top of it. Yeah, you know, so this is not an unheard of thing. This is uh, something you see happen with money. Oops. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so Bitcoin is more than just um, something people are holding on to to get rich. I, I completely agree. Um, now, in this journey to Bitcoin maximalism, eventually you established a conference called BitBlock Boom. Uh, it is a true Bitcoin only, like literally shitcoining will get you thrown out and banned. I was reading your site. I was like, this is awesome. Um, what, what led you to create BitBlock Boom and tell us about it? Well, you know, I had already created the, or co-founded the conference podcast movement, uh, which was very successful. And I sold that several years ago, my share of it, uh, to some radio station. Uh, they wanted to get into the podcasting business. And I wanted to learn about Bitcoin at the time. This was like 2018, maybe 2019. This is our sixth year. So it's been like 17, I guess, or 18, 18. And so um, I said, hey, I'll do a conference. <laughs> and uh, I just started a conference and I called like people up, got in touch with us, uh, Safedina Moose. He had just written his book. And I think I was the first conference he had attended. And um, Pierre Rochard, who was living in New York out of uh, from Austin and Michael Goldstein, I contacted these people and said, hey, would you come speak at my conference? And they all said, yeah. Hardest part was selling tickets. That was the hard part. Yeah. The people were, I mean, we were at the end. At the, as it turned out, I ended up with this great people coming to speak at my conference. And I'm out giving away tickets every night. Because uh, the bear my, came, right? The yeah, bear came like hard at there. that time. I can't have them show up, and there's like 10 people in the audience. So I started that with Tony Sakala, the person who told me about Bitcoin. And uh, Tony had other things he wanted to venture into, so I took over the conference completely after the first year. And it's just grown from there. But, you know, it's kind of like podcasting, doing the conference when it started. I've always thought that, if you want to learn something, you need to find out from the people who are the experts. And so I've normally started podcasts for new ventures I've been into so I can personally call uh, some of the top people and interview them and find out personally the answers to my questions. And then I figure if I find it an interesting question, other people will. And that's kind of how uh, Bitcoin uh, bought boom formed, except it was just a big it was it was the first year I have to admit it wasn't as uh Part of a Bitcoin Maximus conference as it came the second year. I got you. Um, second year, it was strictly Bitcoin, and it's been more and more Bitcoin ever since. 
Um, yeah. So now it's now it's well, actually, it's the longest running Bitcoin conference on the planet since everybody else quit doing them during COVID, and we continued having ours. Um, yeah, so actually, six years <laughs> makes it the longest. <laughs> It's not the oldest, it's just the longest running. Yeah. Well, there was definitely some blessings to being in Texas during the whole COVID's debacle, right? Well, I think uh, COVID really is what put BitBlock Boom on the map. Um, Because being in August, usually by August, most people had been to five or six Bitcoin conferences. And they're going, I don't need to go to another one. I don't know anything about that. But the year um, that COVID hit, uh, we did our conference. And I remember... We, sales were going, okay, okay. And then in July, I started being on a few podcasts. People go, oh, this conference is actually happening? I yeah. Go, yeah, yeah, it's actually going to happen. And the sales went off the hook. So in July and August of that year, oh, my gosh, we sold almost all the tickets because people were going, I haven't been to a Bitcoin conference all year. I'll take a chance on this conference in the heat of Austin. And then they all came, and they all said, wow, this is a great conference. And so the, the COVID, actually, I think, uh, is what's responsible for Bitblock Boom's growth because it got everybody to come here because they hadn't been to a conference in a year. I, I also think it was just in some ways people just wanted to go anywhere. This is actually a picture for those that are on the video. This is this is my my shop at one of my uh, workshops on my property, and this is right in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, this was in the fall of 2020, and uh, this is just how people were. Uh, if you gave them a place where they could go be people. And, and what had happened in this picture, I'd gone in the house to check on some stuff, and Gavin Newsom was ta- talking about how many people you're allowed to have at Thanksgiving. Oh, so I went out, I did, the, I did the DJ thing, like, everybody knock the crap out of the bottom of the bottle and, and raise a toast and show them what you think. And, like, this th- this year in particular when I sold this workshop, and it's nowhere near as big as what you're doing as far as headcount, but it's it's – you know, it's 65 people, uh, paid tickets sold out in like 93 seconds when we, when we pushed it live. And it's because people just wanted to go somewhere and do something and be with other people and actually discuss the things that they were interested in. And I think we, I don't think we knew how lucky we were here and people in Florida and maybe South Dakota compared to some other places. I had family in like Pennsylvania, New York, and they, they literally couldn't do anything. Yeah, people were excited to come to Texas. I remember people were asking, are you not scared that this city's going to shut you down? I was like, no, I don't see why they would shut me down, which they didn't. But it was kind of funny, you know, uh, everybody was walking around without their masks on. And the yeah. hotel was really upset about this. And I came out, yeah. I guess, during a break, I had like 10 minutes between speakers or something. And the lady from the hotel said, Gary, we really need to talk to you. I said, OK, what do you need? She goes, well, we need to go in this room. And they had an empty room that wasn't being used across the hall. So I went in there. It was like three people in there. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And they go, well, we have a problem. Your people are not wearing their masks. They're walking around holding cups of coffee, saying they're drinking coffee so they don't have to wear their masks. But that's not working because they're not drinking coffee. They're just using it as an excuse. And we're going to have to call the cops if you don't get them to wear their mask. I said, well, first of all, I may look like their daddy, but I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) I'm not their daddy. I yeah. may be old enough to be their daddy, but I'm not their daddy. And, um, you know, so if you need to call the cops, I would recommend you call them because they all love that. I mean, they will yeah. just eat that up. And yeah. just, well, what do you mean they'll eat that up? So, oh, my gosh, they'll all take off their masks. They'll all want to go down to jail. Yeah. They'll all yeah. want to film that happening. Yeah. And you're like, uh, okay, well, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> then they never bother me the rest of the day at all about it. 
then the next year when I complained about that, because they wanted me to do that again, they go, well, I don't know why anyone would even walk down that hallway back to those rooms to complain. I mean, you're yeah. in a private area back there. Yeah. It's not like you're out in the hallway or the lobby or something like that. And I said, okay, well, I just wanted to make sure before we did it here again, I don't have that issue again. Yeah. But they did yeah. have a clause in there. They, they called it the bit block boom clause that year. And I think, uh, Sheridan or Marriott started adding those as a COVID thing, you know, <laughs> you know, you're doing something when there's a contractual clause named after you. Yeah. Like you, you've really made it when that happens. And so you guys are already selling tickets for next year, right? It's going to be yeah, August yeah. 2023. Yeah. We, we've been selling really at stronger than ever before next year. It's in August, last weekend in August, and uh, th- in the past, it's been one day of workshops and one day conference day with sessions. This year, we're doing one day of workshops, two days of conference sessions, so we're expanding. The conference sessions are what really everybody comes for. Sure. So we're doubling the size of it, basically, and uh, the facility we have, are you familiar with the Hilton right next to the convention center in Austin? Not really. It's no. a really nice hotel. We've okay. got the sixth floor, the entire sixth floor. Awesome. And that holds like maybe 3,000, 3,500 people, but we're only going to do 1,500 people as our goal. So even though we'll be doubling the size from 700 to 1,500, it should be a lot more room for everybody. So sure. it shouldn't feel all that packed. It's not like it's going to be, oh, my gosh, we can't even walk now. It should be like, oh, wow, we got lots of room this year. More space. So that's the goal is we've doubled the size of it. And uh, that's an expensive location, to be honest with you. It's a great location, but it is expensive. So we've gone up on tickets, maybe 10, 15% gone up on sponsorships a lot and uh, double size of the room. And um, tickets are on sale now. They go up at the end of the month, and that's what they do every month. So the sooner you get – it's funny. You know, when tickets get to $2,000 – you know, which I think the pro pass right now is maybe 600 or something. I can't remember. That's for everything. All the dinners. Yeah. We have events and parties every night. They sell at a good pace. But when that gets to be close to $2,000, they'll be selling like no tomorrow. I never understand. Crazy. Yeah, and you can get a refund till June 1st. You know, a full refund. So to me, I don't know why people just don't buy their tickets. And then they go, oh, June 1st, I can't make it. I'll just get a yeah. refund. You know, instead of calling up or getting online and buying their tickets in July when they're $2,000, double the price. I think I have people actually, I have a lot of people buy two tickets, and then in July and the first part of August, you can't transfer them after August 15th, but there's a lot of people transferring tickets. I think people actually buy two tickets with the plans of selling one. Sell one when the price goes up. Because they know there's going to be a big demand when it gets close to it, and they can sell one. And actually... I guess you could buy two at six hundred, six ninety nine, whatever it is. Yeah. When the price gets to two thousand, you could sell it at half price, pay for your own ticket, still have suspended money, pay for your hotel room. I guess. I mean, it's a yeah. smart move. I mean, you know, to me. But I was thinking I'm gonna do that. I was thinking I'll come down next year, and I think you you you, you totally got me with one of the add on events with the, you got a, a gun club rented out. Yeah, we have BitBlock Shoot this next year. will be our third year. It's an indoor gun range. Of course, it has to be indoor in August in Texas. Yeah. And uh, that was a great event last year. It really was. Um, but it's uh, limited to the amount of people that can attend. It's uh, sure. food. I think we're going to have alcohol this year. Uh, we're going to have After the gun. shooting. Well, they put an armband on your arm, and to okay. drink, you have to cut the armband off. So once you cut the armband off, you can't shoot anymore. Gotcha. You know, That's so, a- uh, and I, I think we're going to have two uh, machine guns this year. 
uh, oh, cool. automatic weapons. They can rent automatic weapons, and they come with a guy. You know, and the guy handles the weapon for you and helps you load it and make sure, you know, so it's not like we're just giving yeah. people machine guns in there. So each yeah, machine yeah. gun comes with a guy, so we're going to add that this year. The thing is, a lot of people, like before COVID, I had more people from the Netherlands than I had from Dallas, okay? so That's crazy. That is crazy. So um, a lot of people that come, though, are from Europe and Australia, out of the country, and they've never even held a gun. You know, so it's a really big deal to those people to come and shoot a gun. I mean, yeah, they're not they necessarily it. wanting to be avid, you know, at marksman, but they just have never shot a gun before because it's bucket illegal list, to own a gun. Bucket list check off, right? I, yeah. I got to fire a gun, you know. Yeah, so I think when we get to automatic weapons, and they're really going to get excited. I shot an AR-15, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, what are your thoughts on our just current general economic situation? I know that's a well, you know, I, I, that's a big question. There's so many angles to hit that from. I, I think luckily where we are the petrodollar, um, or we would be facing it even worse than before. You know, I, I always kind of go back though when I think of that to inflation. My dad, when I was a kid, maybe I was like 10, I'd get a candy bar for a nickel. And my dad would always be, you know, being the, I guess he was around 35 or something. You know, when yeah. I was a kid, yeah, that candy bar was a nickel, but it was twice as big. Yeah, go, ah, that would be really cool to get a candy bar for twice as big. Now, you know, I think if that same scenario would happen, it'd be like, when I was a kid, that candy bar was a nickel, and your candy bar is two dollars and fifty cents. I mean, there's something skewed about that. I mean, went down a little in size, but now it's gone up. You know, and if you take that math, when I was a, see, and my dad used to do this. It's weird how I turned yeah. into my dad. When I was a kid, a Coke was six cents. A nickel and a penny yeah. you'd put in the machine. Now what's a Coke? Two dollars, two fifty in a machine. If you know, so if you take that and then and also at the same time, this makes it even harder to explain. For half or a third of that time, the dollar was on the gold standard. So oh, it, yeah. there wasn't much movement at all. I mean, in in the uh price of uh Coke compared to now with no gold standards in seventy one. So let's take that same though price increase. From six cents to two fifty, I don't even know what that multiplier is. Thinking real quickly, it's a lot of money. And then, and then take the fact we're not on the gold standard; we're in free fall inflation. That means that someone now who's seven or eight buying a Coke at two fifty, when they get to be my age, it's going to be like a hundred and fifty dollars. That's what I'm trying to get at. Forty one X. Yeah, so yeah, or you want so, X increase in the price of a Coke from the time you were a kid till now? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. If you're a kid now and you're buying a Coke, you can and 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 I guess what the point I'm making though really is that if you just use the same inflation rate I saw, yeah, that's the price. But you're not going to be using that inflation no. rate because this whole time that you're a kid to growing up, we've been off the gold standard. You know, the yeah. entire time, and the yeah. world's on fire and inflation, and everybody's tired of the dollar, and they're printing like no tomorrow. You know, so that that Coke could be three hundred dollars. You know, it sounds crazy to think, but like I said, just doing the math of what I've seen, yeah. you know, a forty one X, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of that, inflation. So and I, I think we would be lucky. We would be lucky just to see that over the next fifty, sixty years. And and I look at it and see like Great Britain and Europe, it's even worse because I kind of always remember the pound to dollar ratio at about one and a half to one point yeah. seven five to one, 
And so the euro has fallen below dollar parity, and the pounds are like one point. You know, well, I just got uh, back from Paris. Uh, Kathy and I went over to Paris for like uh, eight or nine days, and it was great. It was on parity, and it was great compared to the last time we'd been there. You didn't have to do any calculating at all. You just, if it was 100 uh, euros, it was $100. You know, it was a great time. Matter of fact, I remember we were at a museum, at an art thing, and this guy had a, it was a Salvador Dali thing, and it was $30,000. He goes, well, you're from America. You should buy this. This is a great time to buy it. It's your own parody with the euro. I said, yeah, but I still don't need to spend $30,000 on dollar, even if it is a good price. Wow. But is there a point, though, that, you know, I go over there to France and I go back to that museum and that piece of artwork still 30,000 euros, but now it takes, you know, four euros to make a dollar. So I go, hell, <laughs> it's $5,000 now. Uh, I'd be a fool not to pick it up, you know? <laughs> it is going to create some global market fluctuations, some things that people don't even think about. Like, I used to manage a territory that included downtown New York City, and I was amazed at how many Brits I would run into. And when you talk to them, like, oh, yeah, we vacation here because it's cheap. Right? Because the exchange rate right. made it very inexpensive to be, like, in the most expensive part of America there is. And I'm like... Y'all need to really get outside of here because you think this is America. This is not America. This is a small slice you of think America. This is cheap. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you go to go to Tennessee, right, or go to Texas, or go to, to Florida. Like yeah, we were really pleasantly surprised because we had we always go on a trip after Bitblock Boom because we work our butt off. So that's when we do our vacation. About a month gotcha. after that, we get caught up, and we had made the reservations in Paris like eight months before. You know, when it was still you know the parody was not it was not what it is today. So we were really excited when the when the pound when the euro started dropping, and, and now the pounds dropped to the lowest it's ever been. All the it's funny, all the currencies of the whole world are dropping against the dollar, but they're all doing bad. It's just the dollar's not doing as bad as the rest of them. That, that's exactly where I'm going with this. That like I see oh, like a terrible stability. I guess is the way I would put it in the U.S. dollar that. It's more, it's less bad than everything else. It's a less bad option. And I have this crazy prediction that everyone thinks I'm nuts for. I actually think instead of a CBDC, what the United States is going to do is rein stable coins in under FDIC and allow banks to issue stable coins in an attempt to globalize the dollar and spread our inflation across the whole world to at least for a time kick the can and mitigate our inflation. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I, I think that, um, you know, and, and when you're talking on the same subject, how does a country like, I'm use China, for instance, feel that has so many American dollars yeah. Yeah. and American uh, U.S. bonds and the inflation rate, we say it's 8%, but let's really face it, we don't use a lot of the, the, a lot of uh, things in our formula to figure out what it is. So it's probably more like 15 or 20 percent. But they've got all these dollars that are dropping in value. Now, we as Americans, we still get something out of all this money being spent, sure. being given to people. They're spending it or they're getting their college tuitions helped on or whatever. But yeah. as a society, we're getting something out of the inflation. As a society, China's not getting jack squat no, no, out of the inflation. They're just losing 15, whatever, 20 percent a year. And yeah. as most countries are. So they're, we're just like sucking off of them, sucking out all their money and giving it to our people. So people bitch about inflation, which I did earlier, but to a degree, they're paying for more of it than we are. At least we're getting something out of it. 
They're getting nothing. Except now, that's, what McKinley, that's what McKinley in, in El Salvador said. He's like, you guys inflated the dollar. We're a dollarized nation. All your citizens got a check. And, you know, whether that's good or bad doesn't matter. But yeah. that did happen. Nobody in El Salvador got a check. All we got was the inflation against the dollar. We, we, we got no benefit from what you did because we don't control our own money. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's uh, another reason that the uh, BRICS nations are um, forming right now to compete with the U.S. dollar. You know, yeah. in the past, I mean, let's face it, what would have happened to Gaddafi, you know, when he was going to make an African reserve currency and get off the yeah. dollar? Look what happened to Venezuela. You know, look what happens yeah. to countries that say, you know what, we think we're going to stop being abused by the U.S. dollar. And I guess uh, Venezuela, you know, um, El Salvador is not having that problem because they still have the dollar. They just added yeah. another currency. Yeah. So uh, the BRICS nations, that's a whole different deal. That's like you, six you, countries getting together. To yeah, you're not going to just destabilize and invade, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China, like that's. Well, it looks like we're working on Russia right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there today. We have enough problems, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying right or wrong on whatever they've done. I'm not yeah. even getting into that. I'm just saying no. we're pouring a lot of money into that situation there. You know, yeah. So, uh, I'm so. already against the next war. That's that's where I am with it. I'm I'm not. I'm not real old, but I've been around long enough to see the aftermath of Vietnam, listen to the stories of Korean War vets. I'm a military veteran myself. I've seen what came out of Afghanistan and, and, and Iraq. And I, my question to all these warmongers is, how many times are you people going to put your penis in a beehive, slap the roof, and get stung before you figure out that maybe this is a bad idea? Like, yeah, like, it, <laughs> like maybe it, we it should just me. not I mean, be in everybody's business. And it always amazes me, um, cause I've been around a while too. I don't care what we do. Um, I care what we do, but I'm saying it doesn't matter what we do or who will attack or anything. I don't think it really matters. You will have so many people convinced that going to war is the best thing to do at that moment. And if you're against it, you are in this Evil. case, a commie bastard. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. no matter who it would be against. And even if, and so if you go, Hey man, you know what? We really, that's not a very good move to go to war. <laughs> yeah. And then we've weaponized the U S dollar. Oh my gosh. That's what's causing, I think going to cause that could cause the downfall of the currency is weaponizing the dollar and swift. Man, I wouldn't be using swift. If I was a foreign country. I'd be wanting no. to get off that system as fast as possible. And, and no. Russia was selling all their dollars anyway for a long time. Yeah. I mean, they weren't like, getting hurt by not being able to use dollars that much. And then they went after people who had nothing to do with it. I well, mean, you, you know, did you see the UN basically is blame the federal reserve now for the coming global recession? No. Oh, well, so the United States has officially <laughs> issued a statement that we're heading to a global recession and it's the federal reserve of the United States fault. They could be, they could be knowing I, what they're talking about. <laughs> I just see parasites fighting each other. And that's usually bad when that happens. Like when the parasites right. are on each other, uh, and I don't think they're necessarily wrong. I think like destroying your own energy economy didn't help you either like that, you know, getting rid of your fertilizer before you had a solution. There's a lot of things that these other nations have done, but yeah, printing a gajillion dollars usually results in some level of inflation. And when you you have the, the dollar is the global reserve currency, 
it does affect things beyond your border. That's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and, and but and now you know. On the other hand, you have so much money distributed so many places that it's kind of hard for people just to get off that uh, crack. All these countries and uh, do away with the dollar. But I could see why they would actually be wanting to do away with the dollar and get off the dollar. And and actually, you know, right now I don't know if it's three senators or three congressmen that have submitted a bill to. Uh, quit aid to um, OPEC to Saudi Arabia? What in the hell are you talking about? Do they not know the deal? I mean, yeah. do they not know why we give them aid? Yeah. I mean, what's the yeah. deal there with that? I mean, do they just need to go do some basic education and say, you know, that was the deal is we would protect them if they only took U.S. dollars? Yeah. I mean, if we don't protect them, why would they say, okay, we're still going to just take U.S. dollars? That kills the petrodollar. I mean, are you asking for it? I mean... That that just was weird to me when I saw that there were three, I think it was senators, submitted a bill to get quit giving aid to Saudi Arabia. They're, they like to submit bills to play to a base when they know it's not going anywhere, though. Yeah, that could be true, too. But it doesn't matter, again, Democrat, Republican, whatever, virtue signaling is like, it's the thing. It's the current hot thing in, in, in the 20s, man, to virtue signal to your base. And sometimes um, those virtue signals come back to haunt you, like Joe Biden saying we're going to bring the um, – leader of Saudi Arabia, the pariah he is to, uh, yeah, that guy holds us in his hands a lot more than people realize. I mean, yeah. you know, and so he goes over there, sees them, begs for some oil, and then they say, oh, we're going to cut two million barrels a day, and we're going up on your oil, yeah. uh, 20 cents yeah. a barrel, just you. No one else we're going up on. It, so that didn't work out too good for the it long It probably would have been better if he didn't go ask. Yeah, and, and what's right. the deal? We got plenty of it. I yeah. mean, so now they're going to go to Venezuela to get oil? I, I, I never understand the whole green part of oil anyway. You know, we could get it here or get it in a pipeline from Canada, and then if something happens in the pipeline in Canada, we can turn it off, go in with bulldozers and clean it up. Fix it. Or, or we can ship it in tankers from a country who cares about environment none at all, and if it sinks, there's no way to clean it up. So to me, I don't understand. You, I would think I'm not an environmentalist, and I don't know a lot about them. Um, but I would just think common sense tells me that environmentalists should be going. We're going to protest importing oil in ships. That would be your first place. And get rid of that. And then when you get rid of that, then you could start going. Okay, now maybe we want to start working on pipelines, have less pipelines, or or something, but not go. We want to increase the amount of oil coming on boats. That just sounds like bad logic to me. I mean, if I was playing a game that has a strategic game, I wouldn't be doing that. I'd be going, you know, what's the best way to do it? If it was a game, a board game, you would never say, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to depend on, on boats coming over here and destroying the rest of the world uh, rather than taking you know, pipelines I can turn off. I don't understand it. I really don't. That's because they don't think. It's, it's not about real environmentalism like it. You, this idea that if I don't see it, it doesn't count. That That's kind of what it is. Like, the, the, well, we're going to use batteries. Okay, so the, what about <laughs> the kids that are mining cobalt in Central yeah. Africa? What destroying about destroying the environment there. They're not cleaning up jack there. No. And what are we doing with those batteries after we use them? And they cost oh, like $20,000 to replace in your car. <laughs> I mean, and I think all. we'll get there with all this tech, but we're not there, and they're trying to force. Yeah. The development of tech that's just not here you yet. You know, what I, what I foresee happening, did you see uh, in California the people who went on the 
special program they had for electricity there. They had a special yeah. rate that if you got the meter from the electric yeah. company, you yeah, know, yeah, that it was yeah. a special rate. And then when it got really hot, people went to turn the air conditioner on and it said, uh, you can't lower your air conditioning right now because we're they, in like manually machine. jacked them up to like 84 or something yeah, like yeah. that. Like, they couldn't lower the temperature. So I foresee cars coming out, electric cars coming out. And then you go, well, I want to like charge this car because I want to drive over to Dallas from Fort Worth and that's 30 miles away. And uh, you put in the destination and the car goes, uh, you can't drive that far. Uh, that's too far. You'll burn up too much electricity. We're in a electrical savings mode. Or maybe, or maybe something like COVID happens and you go, well, I want to go to the grocery store. And it goes, no cars are allowed to be on the road right now. And you can't even yeah. get out your driveway. I mean, you know, that's crazy thinking, but it's crazy thinking, but crazier things could happen. I'll keep my challenger. I'm not giving it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if they take all the rest of the cars off the road, I can actually run the car at the speed it was designed to run at. That's yeah. that's where I'm at with that. Um, let's take just a quick a couple comments people made and see if there's anything you can respond to on it. Uh, Carl says, Gary, what have you found to be the best strategies for orange pilling fellow boomers? I found the best strategy for orange pilling anybody is to just get them dollar cost averaging. I don't care if you use um, Swan. I don't care if you use the Cash App. But it's a lot easier to talk someone into buying $5 worth of Bitcoin a week, every other week, a month, than to buying $1,000 worth. Um, I found in the past, if you uh, an experience I had, I had a friend back in 2017. I talked him into buying some Bitcoin. He bought a couple thousand dollars worth, and Bitcoin was running up to 16000 last year. I called him back up and said, have you looked at your Bitcoin and are you aware of what's going on? Because I've known him since second grade. And he goes, no, I haven't. I bought some, but I never looked at yeah. it again. And he looked at it and said, oh, my gosh, it's doing really good. And so that's pretty typical if you talk him into just buying some Bitcoin. But if yeah. you can talk him into dollar cost averaging, uh, another example, an example on the other side, I had a friend of mine I talked into dollar cost averaging with Swan. And he was buying like $100 a week. And then he called me like three months later and said, okay, I understand Bitcoin now. I just bought $100,000 worth. And he's another boomer. So by dollar cost averaging, they're buying on a weekly or biweekly or monthly basis. Even if it's a small amount, $5, they get an email every week. You just, your purchase just went through for $5, $10, $20. Your total, they go, oh, and how much I got now? And they go look at it. They go, oh, I got $100 worth of Bitcoin now. I got $1,000 worth. Oh, it's up. And they start seeing it and they start paying attention to it. And that process of buying on a regular basis combined with the fact you've got some skin in the game and now you know what's going on, you're seeing the growth, that causes people to buy faster than anything else I've had any problems with, anything to you. So I just recommend talking people into, like I yesterday I orange-pilled some guy on the swan. I said, look, do $10 a month. That's one drink a week. I mean, $10 a week. Dude, that's one drink yeah. a week when you go out to a club. I know you can afford a drink a week. And if yeah. Bitcoin did turn to zero, which the chances of it going to a million now are probably higher than going to zero. Agreed. So if Bitcoin did go to zero, you're not going to be crying if you had $150 in there. You know, no. so let's start putting in $10. And I orange pulled them right there on the spot. It's real easy to do that. Talking someone into spending thousands of dollars is much harder to do. It's it's why I started using the term orange seed instead of orange pill. Like you plant the seed and you get the little tiny oh. bit and let it grow, right? Because yeah. I think some people try to go over the top. But you know what got through to you was somebody used your language. 
And when you're talking right. to boomers and you talk about dollar cost averaging, well, you, they've, they've lived their whole life with 401ks. Mm. They've had financial liars come into their break room at their office forever saying the dollar cost average. So I think the biggest thing is what people do is they, they find a thing that's their thing, like programmable money. Well, that'll do it for me. But I'm very aware that most of the people I talk to, they just are gobbledygook when I say that. So, like, use the language that the person you're talking to is comfortable with. That's a sales technique, too. Like, never use words that your prospect does not know and use themselves. Use their same words. Uh, that's good advice when you have to talk to the cops, too, by the way. Use their language. Um, Gary, what's your favorite on-off ramp for fiat to Bitcoin? From fiat to Bitcoin? Um I use Unchained Capital. Okay. Um, I like Unchained Capital. Um, if I, I mean, I buy all the time on the Cash App. I just have <laughs> money in there. I just buy. I bought a hundred dollars this morning. I just like buy like buying small amounts in there for some reason. I see it down. I go, I'll buy a hundred. I'll buy five hundred. It's not like at, at, with that small amount, I'm really saving a lot. <laughs> if it's nineteen thousand four hundred or nineteen thousand one hundred, I just buy a lot in there. It seems like. Um, I, I think that. You know, I'm not one of those people, I'm not, and I probably should be, but I'm not sitting here going, oh my gosh, I could get it, like, instead of 2% for one and a half percent. Yeah. I kind of feel like, you know, it's like, that's comparing me to the person who goes, okay, Bitcoin is 20,000 now, I'm going to wait till it hits 15. Hell, yeah. when it hits 150,000, you aren't going to care what care. you bought it at. You You're know, so, and, and I'm a true believer it's going to hit there. So, I just buy whenever I feel like buying but uh, usually i use the cash app or i use swan i do dollar cost average with swan and then if i buy uh a good bit of bitcoin i'll buy it with uh, unchained okay i have a web uh, a page on one of my sites the bitcoinbreakout.com forward slash tools and everything you just said is is actually one of the options listed on there for small buys i've come to really like strike because i don't actually buy it I like that it's like another level of privacy screening that I deposit a hundred bucks and mm-hmm. then I send a hundred US dollars to a Bitcoin address. Well, is that my Bitcoin address? I don't know, you know, and I, I don't know that we're ever going to be able to completely hide everything. And I don't know that we ever really want to. I think there is a long term future where Michael Saylor's design of you're borrowing against your Bitcoin forever until you die. All right. May work if you build a large enough stack. There's like, yeah, the been dealing with real estate for thousands of years. Then, the, then you got situations though that you have to have a large enough stack because if you borrowed at sixty thousand dollars, now the Bitcoin is nineteen, you've had to like add more Bitcoin to your collateral, and um, you know certainly you can ride it out if you have enough Bitcoin to ride it out, but you could get to the point where it's going, oh my gosh, this is the last of my Bitcoin. If it goes yeah. down again, yeah. they're yeah. going to start selling my Bitcoin stash, and uh, so I've traded Bitcoin now that's. At fifteen thousand to get, you know, some that I had to pay sixty thousand for, you know. Yeah. So, so you got to be careful with that. Is what I would recommend to people. Agreed, agreed. I think you're looking at you're starting it. You're you're years out from where this is doable, and you're looking at starting out with like a two percent loan to value ratio, yeah. And, yeah. and that becomes pretty sustainable across time. So, you when you hear a billionaire like Sailor, that it all makes perfect sense. And and there's the rest of us that you know. Well, and, I, and this is not financial advice, but I do think we're closer to that being a uh, tool to use right now. I do. Um, to grow your stack. Uh, you said it's not financial advice, just my personal thoughts on it. I think at uh, 19,000, 
you know, I, I couldn't see Bitcoin. I mean, and, and like I said, I'm not an expert and I don't do all these charts and stuff, but I'd have a yeah. hard time believing Bitcoin would get under 14,000. You know, I'm not saying it yeah. couldn't get to 14,000 by any means. Uh, I don't think it could ever get to zero. Could get to 3,500. I would probably got to 3,500. I'd probably actually start selling stuff, you know, yeah. at that price because I have been there a couple of times. You know, yeah. and was buying all I could get. You know, I just would run out of fiat. <laughs> you know, that's a problem is you run out of fiat when it gets to those really good prices. Yeah. I mean, I'm not big on models, but if we do historical average of the, the four-year cycle, right. the low in this cycle based on the high should be somewhere in the $14,000 range. But I also see volatility slowly shrinking in each one of these cycles. So maybe that doesn't happen. But I've heard that number tossed around by a lot of uh you know, you never know if they really are, but they call themselves whales. Is like the backup truck number. Like at that point, you just go all in hard. I don't know. I, I get ex- I get excited some days because I get on Twitter and I hear all this about Bitcoin crashed. I'm like, oh, go buy some more, and I'll pull up the price. It's like nineteen one. Yeah, it's nineteen like, one now. Or yesterday, like this is not a the, the newest people into this. They use the word crash really loosely. Like yeah. it, it went down one percent, it crashed. I'm like, I. But you know, I've been if in you, since 2013, I kind of, I expect more from a crash. <laughs> if you look at uh, Bitcoin this year, uh, I'm not talking about from the high of last year. I'm just talking this year. Yeah, I think it's actually held its own against stocks pretty well. Oh, it has um, this year. Now, if you go to the all-time high, no, it hasn't. It's yeah. down. But then again, though, the all-time high. I mean, my gosh, that shot up there in no time at all. I mean, you know, you're able to walk down the street, look at your phone. And then you looked at it five minutes later, it was up another thousand yeah. dollars. I mean, you know, that is nothing that can last forever. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I don't think anyone who's held Bitcoin for more than two years is down. I think that's the, the number if you've held Bitcoin for more than two years. But then again, like I said, I don't recommend anyone just to go buy everything they have in Bitcoin. I'm a person that believes in just buying on a regular basis and slowly. That's what I do. But, um, I, I probably believe stronger than other people, so I probably buy at a faster pace than most people. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's one of those things. Like if you ease into it over time, like you were talking about DCAing, you, you pretty much are always going to work out over time. Last question from Hunters here, and we'll let you get on with your life. Um, are there venues that are taking Bitcoin? I guess he's talking about for conferences and things like that. Well, Bitblock Boom takes Bitcoin. I know that. Um, the Bitcoin conference, which is in Amsterdam, I guess, going on right now, maybe, and in Miami in May, they take Bitcoin. I think most Bitcoin would be much of a Bitcoin conference, no. in my opinion. If it I don't think that's Bitcoin. what he's asking, though. I think he's asking the other side of it, like when you're paying for the venue, like you're oh, transacting oh, okay. with the hotels and, and the conference centers and stuff like that. No, I haven't uh, had that yet. I use uh, normally Marriott's or Sheridan's this year, so I'm using Hilton, but none of those do. I'm sure there are some smaller venues, but um, I use major hotel chains, you know, for the venues. And so none of those have uh, accepted Bitcoin so far. I don't understand. Something I don't understand is, why do conferences give a 10% discount for Bitcoin? I mean, when they could just, if the ticket was a hundred dollars, yeah. instead of selling it for 90, they could just take the hundred and buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. I don't understand that. Maybe, maybe I'm missing some, maybe it's like to show their support for the Bitcoin world. I'm not yeah. Sure. I think it's almost expected at this point in some ways, or like it gets people motivated. I don't know. I, I, I know that if I'm going to do a discount, the first thing I do is raise the price by the amount of the discount. Yeah, that's what a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. So you think you're getting a discount, but you're not really getting a discount and stuff like that. 
Uh, oh, I did see something on your site I want to mention. Uh, okay. You need to take that Coinbase banner off there, dude. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty old. I have that even on my tools page, though. Like, if you're going to buy it and get out immediately. I don't think you can support Coinbase. I don't support Coinbase. I support people buying Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, right? I, think that's, yeah. uh, I think there are a lot of better places to send them. And, and uh, the, if you go to my tools page, it does kind of rank things and like one is kind of like if you want to buy regularly in larger amounts that's my number one recommendation you want to buy small amounts here and there strike because it's so simple it's an app you install it the problem with strike has been probably one in 20 people when they're doing their kyc crap so they can will fail it and then strike does absolutely nothing to help you they're like you're on your own we can't tell you we can't talk to you we can't do anything for you um they have Absolutely lousy customer support, and it's they're sad. real strict on all their stuff. You know, they were a sponsor of Bitblock Boom this last year, which and they were a great sponsor. But they, yeah, they're yeah. real strict on like they sponsored Casino Night, and we couldn't do buy-ins. You know, because people ran out of money and they want to get yeah. some more, so we had cheap buy-ins, just enough to make them like have to think about it. It's not like we really made it, which was fine not to do. It's not like we got rich off of buy-ins on Casino Night, but yeah. uh, we couldn't do them because I think they got like. Maybe twenty thousand dollars for five thousand or something, five dollars or something. You know, it's just enough to make them instead of like giving them unlimited money. There's no excitement to unlimited money. Yeah. Um, so, but we had to quit doing that, which was fine. But uh, they had some. They were really pretty strict on what they could do. Yeah. Um. My 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 thing was just more like. So I signed up for it. Everything worked, I, and they do a referral program, but they cut you off annually at four hundred dollars in referrals. You don't get any more. And I think it's probably so they don't have to 1099 anybody. Wow. So I'm like, I told my wife, just sign up for it. And I'll, you know, you know, when I, when I run out of referrals for the year, I'll just run yours as a link. And she could never get it to work. They kept saying she needed to reapply and she just couldn't ever get like, you know, after a couple of weeks of trying to get approved, I am who I say I am. You just got to go. I'm sorry. And I've had people email me about it. Hey, you recommend strike. And I'm like, I, I've tried to get Maulers on the show, anything to get some kind of an inside relationship, but because um, I was able to do it with Fold. Fold, you know, like if you have a problem with Fold, I got an inside guy that will help you a little bit, and I have not been able to do that with Strike. Fold is like one of my favorite things now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been with Fold a long time. We have, gosh, I'm saying, I can't think of his name right now. It's on the show tomorrow on Bitcoin Boomer Show. Um, I can't even think of his name right now. I'm embarrassed to say that. Don't you hate that? <laughs> yeah, it happens to me a lot, though, the older I get. <laughs> but being a boomer, I can always throw that off. It's like when you're a boomer, you can throw things off to like, hey, I'm a boomer. It's like if you want to, like, watch an extra movie for free, no kid's going to say anything to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, that, that helped me in my early days as a podcaster. I was doing it in the car. Well, of course it sucked. I was in a car trying not to get hit. But, dude, this has been fun. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for thanks for filling in. I, I really, really appreciate that you yeah, enjoyed were it. willing to do it. And hopefully you'll be at uh, the meetup tonight. And if you are, I'll, yeah. I'll buy you a drink. Yeah, and for those who uh, are in Dallas Fort Worth, check Fort Bitcoin. They have a good meetup once a month. And also, if you're in Dallas, check out BitBlock Barbecue. We do a Bitcoin meetup once a month over there Bit at a barbecue Barbecue. Yeah, yeah. we have a good turnout. Usually about 50 people turn out. It's always at the same place, Ferris Wheeler's Barbecue. We should do, like, I found this really cool skeet and uh, sporting place range that's right off the backside of 820 on the backside of Fort Worth. We should do, like, a local, like, uh, version of the, the, the uh, Bit Bitbox block bang, right? Like, you know, and, and do, like, a Bitcoin meetup and go do some sporting place. Because that's like golf with a shotgun. 
Yeah, yeah, I like I like sporting clays. Yeah, you get in the is that when you get in the uh, golf cart and you drive around? Yeah, you so most of the time it's more of a walking course, but I guess they do have yeah. ones with when, course. Last one I did had golf carts. They took it around that's, the golf courts. That's cool too. But yeah, you have like crossing shots, and uh, it's not just skeet where you're just shooting the same. Right. No, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy play. that a lot. I enjoy that a lot. What kind, of gun, what kind of shotgun do you have? Uh, all of them. Well. <laughs> All of, I, for that, I'm really fond of uh, over and unders, though, and, yeah. and I'll, like, handicap myself a little bit. I like to shoot, like, I have a Brita white wing in 20-gauge, and it, it beats the shoulder a little less when you're shooting two rounds. You're shooting 50 shots, and um, I don't know. It makes you makes you try a little harder, I guess, when you uh, – Yeah, yeah. no, I like down. doing that. I, I'm always up for that. That might be a good idea, actually. We'll yeah, it would be about fun. That tonight. Yeah. I'll, I'll shoot you a link uh, later today with the, the venue where it's at because it is a pretty cool venue, and – uh, they're the same type of thing. When you're done, then you can drink. They do like wine tastings and stuff like that. So, oh, that even sounds better. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, send me the link. Well, I enjoy I being will. on the show. I always enjoy talking Bitcoin, and I like talking about money. I'm not a financial guru. I'm more of a. I just like. I think it's very interesting where money's gone, where it's been, what it's doing. You know, yeah. I think most of the YouTube. It's funny. I don't watch TV regular TV anymore. Everything I watch on my television is YouTube now, and uh, that my feed is almost constantly filled up with things about money and about and Bitcoin. So for anybody watching this video live, it'll be about an hour. Anybody watching after the fact, there's a link down there. It goes over to the audio notes are. All of Gary's stuff, you can find it uh, for this episode. Again, it's episode 22 of the Bitcoin Breakout, 3180 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, make sure you get over. There's all kinds of good links down there, but if you click it right now and we're still live, it won't be up yet because we're not quite finished and, uh, Gary, I really appreciate it. And, oh, by the way, uh, I, I noticed you do have an account on Fountain. I am going to set up for, uh, for boosts and, and things for this episode to split with you. Uh, so you get some V for yeah. V, uh, on the V for V network as well. So if you guys are tipping me or boosting me for this episode on Fountain or any other 2.0 app, uh, Gary will get a cut for, uh, for being here with us today. Oh, well, that's nice. I need to get, uh, go in there and do more work on that. I haven't figured that out yet. I've had a you hard time on your podcast, bro. Well, I have a hard time on it. Every time I do it, I think I'm on, uh, what's Adam Curry's, uh, podcast thing, uh, where you get paid. It says I'm already doing that with something else. Oh, you, you have another, you have, you're just managing it with another tool. I used to manage it through Telegram with Satoshi Streambot. Yeah. I had to turn it off to use Fountain. And the reason I'm using Fountain is it's just like what I want to do for you is so simple. I can well, just- I think and I've lost Satoshi Streambot because I um, I went into Telegram and I was getting pinged so much. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't really uh, up on Telegram. I couldn't even listen to a podcast because every three minutes, you just got five Satoshis. You just got two, which I appreciated, but I yeah. couldn't enjoy it. So I went in and I wanted to mute it and I deleted it. And so I said, oh, I went and, I went and uh, added it back, but you got to like, put in the stuff to get it working. Yeah. Again, so. If you have uh, trouble shutting it off so you can manage it with Fountain and you need help, let me know. And I, my, my web dude could, could, you know, I'll volunteer him against his will and he, he can help you out. Cause it, it didn't take him long to shut it off for me. Cause I couldn't figure out how to shut it off. Well, I do need Once help I'm telling you right too. now. I do need help. Cause I wanted to get yeah. that done. And, and they were really nice. They contacted me at Fountain and said, Hey, you know yeah. I mean? They replied when I asked them and I yeah. said, like, okay, whatever. And I haven't moved forward with it. And I do want yeah. to. So yeah, they can't control the other side. Yeah. But yeah, yeah you, all you need to receive though 
from a split is an account. So you have that. I already found you. I followed you. So uh, okay. I'll set up a split. And uh, again, man, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks. I, I really enjoyed uh, talking with Gary. Uh, I want to remind you guys, I think I mentioned it during the show, but there is a Bitcoin meetup tonight with a meetup group called Fort Bitcoin, because it's Fort Worth Bitcoin meetup group. And uh, I will be there. It's at a place called Gamel, which is one of uh, Chef Tim Love's new places. Really good group of guys. Maybe come out and hang out with us. If you're in the Fort Worth area, if you're listening to this early enough in the day to make arrangements, do that 6 to 8 tonight. And there'll be a link in the show notes for more about that group. So even if you can't make this one, if you are you know kind of local to us, uh, consider joining it. And if you're not... If you're not a, if you're a Bitcoiner and you're not in a Bitcoin meetup group, you're missing the community. And I'll tell you what, I think a lot of people think, well, if I go to a Bitcoin meetup group, it's going to be just a bunch of people sitting around talking about Bitcoin. There's a lot of talk about Bitcoin. It's more about people and getting together and knowing people in your community that are Bitcoiners. We, we, I think in our group, we recently in the last four or five of them that I've been around it for, there's been one that was kind of more like a sit down, learn about thing. Most of it's just hanging out and meeting really cool people. Last one I was to, I got to meet Texas Slim and shake his hand and talk. We cooked steaks out on the patio of this bar in, in, in downtown Fort. It was awesome. So I, I can't say what your Bitcoin meetup group would be like, only the one that I'm part of. But definitely get on meetup.com and find a Bitcoin meetup group in your area and get out there and press palms and talk to people. And I'll tell you something my group's doing that I really think is smart. They're using restaurants, bars, etc. for meetups. Great. Tuesday evenings, slowest night of the week for bars. So your big group is not an inconvenience. It's a gift to the restaurant, bar, club, etc. Anyway, with that, let's wrap things up. Let me remind you a couple of ways you can help support me and the work that I do. And for those of you guys that are only tuning into the Bitcoin Breakout stream, TSPC, the Survival Podcast, we've been around a long time. And, and I started doing the Bitcoin breakout, one, to allow my listeners to have, like, this is the Bitcoin day, and if you don't want Bitcoin stuff, you don't have to listen. But the other reason was I, I kept seeing this commonality in the world of Bitcoin. People get into Bitcoin, next thing you know, they're changing their diet, they're eating better, they're starting to homestead, uh, they're concerned about solar energy, so they're not dependent on the grid. They start recognizing patterns and the systemic lies that have been told. Once you understand that the current monetary system is based on lies, you have to understand that everything's based on lies. And so that fits in with my item of the day today. And you can always support this show just by doing your online shopping starting where? tspaz.com. Today's item of the day, I haven't had this around for, oh God, since I think January this year is the last time I brought this around as an item of the day. It's a book. It's called The New Wild, Why Invasive Species Will Be Nature's Salvation. And uh, it's by a gentleman named Fred Pierce. I found out about this book from Jeff Lawton. And I got it. It's when Jeff recommends a book, I read it instantly. I read this book cover to cover, and here's a couple things I'll say about it. Number one, there's a lot of people very angry about this because there's like these native Nazis, I guess you'd call them. Uh, they think any introduced species is bad. And I just had a guest kind of sort of like that on the air last week, and he had nasty things to say about this book. But the person that he cited is saying nasty things about this book and debunking it. Clearly, I read this debunking, didn't read the book. And that's the number one thing I'd say. All of the hate I've seen thrown at this book, when you read it, you go, well, that's not what it says, that's not what it says, that's not what it says. So one of the patterns here is that when people don't like a thing, they just say, I've debunked it, without actually debunking it, without actually addressing the issues. Number two, the reason that that's clear is that nothing in this book is to be taken as you can just do anything you want with any species anywhere and it'll all be okay. 
Like it, it shows both sides of the issue in a pragmatic and fair way. The next thing, though, and this is one of the most interesting things in this book to me. I talked about lies and seeing lies. There's a pattern of lies in the world of science and technology and media in the world today. A, a very distinct pattern of lies. This book, without really attempting to expose that, Fred shows how many places that there's this cited thing that everybody knows is true. And when you say, well, okay, it's cited in like 20 academic papers or 50 academic papers or 100 academic papers. And they say, okay, well, 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 wait a minute. How is it cited? And you track it back, and there's only actually one source, and it's everybody parroting and repeating it and putting in their shit because it'll get grant money or whatever. And then when you get the original source, you find out it was poorly sourced in the first place or was some aside in an article that some research person cut and pasted into their stuff. This is how you've been sold a lot of lies, like a lot of stuff about COVID and things like that. Even if you don't think this topic itself is interesting, which is, again, all these different plants from all and animals, too, from all over the world that have been translocated to different locations that they're not native to. In the end, it comes out this way. There's some that are really bad. There's some that are a problem. But overall... It has been a net gain. And if we understood it and we harnessed it and, and, and respected it, it could be even a bigger gain. This is totally worth reading. Here's some things in this book. There was a tree that was blamed for drying out a river in South Texas. So this native, this invasive tree dried the river out. The trees were growing in the river downstream of where it dried out. It dried out above them. Doesn't really work out, does it? There's a plant in the United Kingdom that if it's on your property, you can't get a mortgage because it supposedly will break through the walls of your house. It's never happened even once. No documented history of it ever happening. But it's now written in the law and code and, and mortgage policy. Um, there was an island that was 95% bare rock, turned into a cloud forest with just a mass species planting. Right? And it also gets into how the idea that we're going to stop this at this point is ridiculous. So maybe we better better understand it and harness it. I know a lot of you are skeptical of things like this. If you grew up in the South, especially the Southeast, and you've seen what kudzu's done, that's enough reason to despise and loathe all invasive species. But how many invasive species do you think are native? That's an interesting thing. How many of the plants that we see incredibly useful, beautiful, good for wildlife habitat are actually non-native plants? And I'm not just talking about what we eat. There's a lot of good in this world, and it's also a world we have to accept at this point. So I think this is worth reading for a variety of reasons. With that, let's move on. Let me remind you one last time, though, if you want to support us the very, very best way, become a member, the survivalpodcast.com forward slash members. Find all about it there. I'll be back tomorrow uh, with a regular Survival Podcast episode. Tomorrow we're going to be talking with a, a gal named Jeannie, uh, Jean Whitaker. And we're going to be talking about developing sustainable uh, real estate projects as a side hustle and making a profit. So that should be really, really interesting. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with that episode. You guys that are on the Bitcoin only feed. Developing sustainable real property for a profit as a side hustle. Maybe if you had more profit, you could invest in more Bitcoin. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakdown. They gonna bail you out or just run you around? They say.
said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. 